0: Hello and welcome back to If You Don't Know, Now You Know, Moat Museum podcast talking about a variety of different topics. The last episode was on slavery, the Emancipation Proclamation, and uh, the 13th Amendment, and you can find that if you scroll down in the feed. My name is Irene, and today we're going to be talking about a topic that I briefly touched on in the last episode, and that is Jim Crow. So to get started, where did this name come from, and what exactly does this mean? So in the early 1830s, a minstrel performer by the name of Thomas Dartmouth Rice, also known as Thomas Daddy Rice, wrote and performed the song and dance Jump Jim Crow as a racist imitation of Black people. Now minstrel shows, uh, which were performed by uh, white dancers in blackface were incredibly popular, and so this Jump Jim Crow performance flowed easily into the pop culture of the time and eventually became synonymous with the term Black Codes, which were laws passed to uphold white supremacy. So when the Civil War ended in 1865, Congress passed what's known as as the Reconstruction Amendments. Now they weren't all passed at the same time, but they were passed over a couple of years. So the 13th Amendment ended slavery, except as a punishment for crime. The 14th Amendment granted citizenship to all those born or naturalized in the US. It granted due process of the law and ensured equal protection under the law for all citizens. And the 15th Amendment gave all men the right to vote. Now, while these were initially meant to protect black Americans, they were not truly upheld in the court system. As the North began to pull troops out of the South, uh, southern white Democrats started regaining power and using the newly founded KKK to intimidate blacks from pursuing elected office and their new right to vote. By the time the 15th Amendment was ratified in 1870, Reconstruction efforts had already started to wind down to their eventual end in 1877. By this point, all the formerly Confederate states were now admitted back into the Union, and the white Democrats had really started to claim control in the state legislatures, enabling them to pass the Black Codes. So these Black Codes touched on a number of areas, all of which were thoughtfully legislated. Nearly all public places were segregated, Despite the Civil Rights Act of 1875, which prohibited racial discrimination in public places and social etiquettes were formed from these laws, as blacks knew that small infractions or behaviors could and would lead to allegations that landed them in jail. So in 1883, the Supreme Court ruled that the Civil Rights Act of 1875 was unconstitutional. And that's when Jim Crow laws really took off. Just a few years later, the case of Plessy v. Ferguson came before the Supreme Court. Homer Plessy, a man from Louisiana, who, although he presented as white, he was still one-eighth black. When Plessy purchased a ticket for and took a seat in the car for white passengers, the conductor required that he move to the car for non-whites. Or, he would face being kicked off the train and taken to jail. Plessy refused to move, so he was taken away, per the Louisiana Separate Car Act, which was passed in 1890 and stated, quote, all railway companies carrying passengers in their coaches in this state shall provide equal but separate accommodations for the white and colored races, end quote. Plessy took this case to court believing that it was in violation of the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. After the case worked its way through the Louisiana court system in 1896, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled in a decision 7-1 to that the Separate Car Act in Louisiana did not violate uh, the Constitution and it set the precedent that separate but equal is equal. Moving forward, states now had a legitimate and legal justification to segregate and continue pursuing Jim Crow legislation. Poll taxes and literacy tests were used to stop blacks from voting. And, you know, if you remember, uh, the 15th Amendment uh, granted the right to vote for uh, all, all men. But there was a little side note to that. Uh, some states had a grandfather clause that said if you were not allowed to vote before the Civil War, you were still not allowed to vote. Additionally, uh, other Jim Crow laws included white female nurses were not permitted to tend to black male patients. Black male barbers were not permitted to tend to white female clients. K-12 schools were required to have separate state fa- or excuse me, separate facilities for teaching black and white students and higher education could deny admission based on race. Now just, you know, a little side note again. (laughs) Um, These were state legislative uh, pieces. Each state had different rules and regulations regarding segregation. So all these roadblocks made it hard for blacks to push back against these Jim Crow laws and norms. And if they did, then they put their lives at risk and the lives of their friends and family at risk too. So this continued until the mid 20th century when President Truman integrated the US military. However, that was just the beginning of dismantling Jim Crow laws. Two years later in 1950, the Supreme Court decided unanimously that the University of Texas Law School would be required to admit black students to the same school as white students because any separate facility they built would be inherently unequal. Now that is the case of Sweat v. Painter. So this helped to pave the way for the 1954 Brown decision, which included the case of Davis v. Prince Edward County regarding the Moton School, uh, where Chief Justice Warren ruled, quote, the doctrine of separate but equal has no place in the field of education, end quote. Yet, it still took years before schools were opened on an integrated basis. And even then, it wasn't until the case of Loving v. Virginia that interracial marriage was legalized in 1967. While the Supreme Court, striking down old precedent, Congress was working on legislation including the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. During this entire time, the resilience, bravery, and persistence of many civil rights activists helped to rid the country of much of the de jure or legally mandated segregation. However, much of it continued and still does continue through de facto segregation, which is unmandated due to decades of preconceived notions and feelings that people had. Now, in this episode, we talked a lot about segregation that was occurring in the South. But, you know, again, segregation was happening all over the country. It was happening in the North. You know, it was happening out in the Midwest. It just had different aspects of how it was legislated. So, if you didn't know, now you know. Jim Crow. Again, a brief run-through, but you can check out the Cornell Law School Legal Information Institute, the Ferris State University Jim Crow Museum, the United States Office of the Historian, and the National Humanities Center, for more resources and further reading. So that wraps up today's episode. If you don't know, now you know. If you have any topics you'd like to hear about, let us know at info at or DM us on social media. See y'all soon!